guys. I am so glad to be with you guys tonight um, to be preaching the sermon. Um, the passage we're going to be looking at is going to be talking about joy. It's going to be talking about anxiety and prayer and how we communicate with God. And we're currently in the last chapter of Philippians, and we're going to be finishing up in the next couple of weeks. So that's excited that we're kind of bringing things to a close. Um, I'm going to have Hunter come up. Um, everybody, please welcome him as he comes up. That's a lot of excitement. A lot of Hunter is pretty great. Um, and go ahead and turn to Philippians 4. Uh, starting in verse 4, ending in verse 7, as Hunter reads the passage for tonight. I love you, John. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Hunter. Great excitement. Um, yeah, so we're just going to look at, at these couple of verses for tonight. Um, we see all throughout the book of Philippians a common theme of Paul exhorting his friends in Philippi to rejoice. If you've been here for the past couple of months, you've heard a lot about joy and rejoicing. And that's because Paul is, is really highlighting that theme um, throughout this book. And so it's no surprise that we see it here again. Paul urges the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. What does it mean to have joy in the Lord? Joy simply means a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. How do we gain this joy of the Lord? The original Greek word that we translate rejoice from means to be favorably disposed to, leaning towards, and delighting in God's grace. So as Christians, we find joy in the fact that we have salvation through God's grace and provision in Christ. As Christians, we find joy in the fact that we have a God who is loving, who cares about us, and who is inherently good. As Christians, we find joy in the hope of the second coming of Jesus. God's grace and provision are reasons for us to be filled with joy. We did nothing to deserve or earn God's grace towards us, yet we are favorably disposed to it. That's what Paul's saying here. And why? Because why are we favorably disposed to God's grace? Because God loves us and because he is good. So our response to God, how we respond to, to God's goodness and to God's favor and to God's grace is, is we rejoice in him. It is because of him that's in him, because of him, because of his goodness, because of his kindness, because of his mercy, because of his joy. So we can't help but rejoice 
when we look at our salvation, when we look that, hey, Jesus is coming again for us, our response as Christ followers is for joy to exude out of us. And that is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. So now let's look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Taylor talked last week about how there were two women in Philippi who were in a quarrel. There was strife, discord, and division within the church. And because of this situation, Paul is exhorting the Philippians to choose to be gentle, to choose unity over division. We talked about last week, be, Paul encourages them, be of the same minds, be unified, don't have division. So this is part of that. Be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The word, the word gentleness here means to be peaceable, to be patient with each other, to yield to one another, to have a mildness and a softness with one another. It's about giving grace to one another even where, when there's friction. It's about giving grace when it isn't deserved, just like Jesus has done for us. He's given us grace when it isn't deserved, and we're called to give others grace when it's not deserved. We're called to be gentle with them. We're called to be loving to them. We're called to be kind. That's how we are able to be unified with the same mind, is to have the mind of Christ, to have the character of Christ, to reflect God's nature in everything we do, and especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To everybody, though, let it be evident to all, not just your brothers and sisters in Christ, but especially. These, these are the people that we, we're meant to be unified with, that we're meant to have unity and to do life with and to represent Christ together as a body. Not, we're not all, in the, we're individual, but we all come together as the body. And so that's where the unity piece comes in. So it is in this place of, of being gentle, of being humble, of being patient, that the Philippians can be of one mind and they can reflect God's character well. They can choose to be full of joy in the Lord. They can choose to be gentle to all. A reason Paul gives them for having joy and being gentle is that the Lord is near. When I first read this, I was very confused. It was like, the Lord is near. It kind of was like, to me, felt random. I was like, what is, why do you say that right after one another? And I also thought that Paul meant that the Lord is physically near. I was like, okay, uh, we're going to be gentle because God's like, super, you know, near to us and it was watching us kind of thing. Um, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying, but it is true. The Lord is physically near and close to each of us. But in this context, that's not exactly what he's saying. Um, he's actually talking about time. Um, he means that the time of the Lord coming back is near. The Lord is near. His coming is near. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And not only is he coming back, but we're going with him. And, like, that is the reason for joy. Uh, we talked earlier about, like, the second coming of, of Christ. That's one of the things that we're, we have joy in, and he's pointing that out here. We can have joy because the Lord is near. He's coming, and we're coming with him, and we have hope in that. Um, so David Guzik um, comments about this verse. He says, when we live with the awareness of Jesus' soon return, it makes it all the more easy to rejoice in the Lord and to show gentleness to all. We know that Jesus will settle every wrong at his return, and we can trust him to make things right in our falling apart world. I love how he phrases that. 
I think that that really encompasses this verse right here really well. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we're citizens of heaven. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Being citizens of heaven means that we need to have a heavenly perspective. It means that we can set our hearts and our minds on things above. It means that while we're here on this earth, it is vital to keep at the forefront of our minds the future hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus and in the eternal life that we have through him. Uh, The future hope is that our life here on earth is temporary, while the next part of, of life that we have is eternal It's forever. It's never ending. This is like a vapor. It is here today, gone tomorrow. It is passing away. And the future hope that we have is forever. And it looks so much different than what this life looks like. The promise that Christ followers can put their hope in is that Jesus will return to remove evil from the world and restore all things, making them new. Revelation 21, 3 through 4 talks about this reality. It talks about our eternal destination as Christians. It says this, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. I'm going to repeat verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the future hope. This is our eternity. This is what brings us joy because we're looking from a heavenly perspective. We see things from an eternal perspective, and that is what Paul is exhorting the Philippians to do. How can we rejoice? How can we have joy? By looking at the eternal hope that we have in Jesus, that this is our reality. And how can we get through what we're currently going through in this life? By looking that this is temporary by seeing the eternal hope, by seeing that all the old order of things has passed away. All of this will pass away and God will wipe every tear. He will take away all pain. He will restore everything that you're going through. He will heal you entirely, physically, mentally, emotionally, every broken relationship. God's plan for you is to heal that. God's plan for us is to heal that and to have perfect unity, perfect joy, perfect peace, restoration, in Jesus. And we have to constantly be thinking about that. We have to be at the forefront of our minds or we lose focus and we're like, how am I going to get through this life? Because it's so hard, Jesus, this life is hard. How am I going to get through it? By the eternal hope that we have that Jesus is near, the Lord is near, he's coming, he's coming for us. Whatever we face in this life, this is the hope we have to rejoice in. We have a God who is coming back for his people, who has made a home for us with him in heaven, and who promises, promises to restore all things. 
anything you are going through right now, any hardship, any trial, any situation or circumstance you are facing is temporary. Depression, grief, physical pain, houselessness, your parents' divorce, anxiety is temporary. These things are very real things that so many just like you feel, that I feel. I just want to take a moment and let you know that what you're facing, you're not alone. You're in good company. Your leaders and adults that you know are facing these same things. I was facing anxiety today. I was super anxious today, super anxious about the sermon and about coming up here. And now I have a piece that's unexplainable. Part of the text, um, and we'll get into that. But, but it's real. It feels real. But we're in this together, and we go through this together. And not only are we with you in what you're facing, but more than that, the Lord is with you. And that is how we embrace and choose to rejoice in the Lord, to thank God we don't have to face this alone. Thank God that this isn't all there is. Thank God that there is an eternity without anxiety, not just a miserable life full of pain, anxiety, regret, shame, and fear that ends with death. Because we have the eternal hope. And we can stand firm in this promise that God writes, God writes every wrong. In Romans 8.28, we read, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And that's a promise and a hope that we hold on to. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me start with defining anxiety and fear. It can be defined as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. In the Bible, God says to his people hundreds of times, fear not, do not be worried, do not be anxious, do not be afraid. If you open up your Bible, you will find it. It is everywhere that God is saying, do not fear, do not be anxious, do not be afraid. And let me share a scripture with you guys um, of an example of why God says to not be fearful. Isaiah 41.10 says, this is God speaking, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God says, do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Do not be anxious. Why? Because I am your God. He, because I am your God. He is a good God and he helps us and he strengthens us and he's an ever-present help in trouble. Fear is not God's plan for us. God knows that fear is something that tries to separate us from him. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, 
But God's perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We have no need to fear, no need to be anxious because God loves us, because God provides for us, because God is faithful, and because God is trustworthy. We have no need to fear because God is with us, God is for us, he is our God, and we are his children. Paul is telling the Philippians to have joy and peace in the Lord instead of being anxious. Paul says this as a command, do not be anxious about anything. And then offers the how and the what to do next instead of being anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we look at the, the, the key Phrasing, do not be anxious, but, and he shows us what to do next. In every situation, by, keyword by, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And in this scripture, there is an invitation for us to come to God, to turn to God. And a way that we can do this, Paul shows us, is through prayer. So two things I want to talk about um, is how we relate to God and what prayer looks like. So... Growing up, I had a hard time relating to God, really, really hard time relating to God. Um, I viewed him as, as really angry, um, wanting nothing to do with me, distant, far away, and I thought everything, like he was oh, ashamed of me and disappointed in me that I could do nothing wrong. Like as a teenager, that was my view of God. I, I believed in God. I was like, yeah, I believe you're real, but I didn't think that he was a good, loving God that wanted to, like, have a relationship with me. And so a reason that I viewed God in this way was, one, because of my upbringing in the church that I went to, and I was hearing some of these things, and also because of um, the distant and toxic relationship that I, growing up, had with my own father. Um, And I'm really thankful that I don't, that God has brought so much healing to that relationship now. Um, but when I was your age, I had a really not good relationship with my dad. And um, we didn't speak much. And if we did, it was fighting. And so um, I kind of viewed God in that same way because we hear about God as a parent, as a father. And so I thought that God the Father was like my father. Um, and I was like, well, I don't really want a relationship with you because I don't want a relationship with my dad. Um, And so a common challenge many have is getting past the relationship they have with their parents. It can be hard to view God, our Father, as loving, merciful, graceful, graceful, kind, comforting, compassionate, or as a provider or somebody that you can trust, somebody trustworthy, if our parents didn't show us that side of them. Um, So if you struggle with relating to God, the Father, for whatever reason, I just want you to know that you're not alone, that I too know what that's like to struggle with relating to God in that way. Um, And I want you to know that he he isn't angry or disappointed with you uh, for having a hard time with that. He doesn't have the faults that our human parents have. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that he is a good, perfect, loving father. But I also very much so understand what it's like 
well, it doesn't necessarily have to be your father, but a, a parent, a guardian, if you have a hard time connecting with them and, and that relationship severed, it's understandable that it's hard to view God in that way. Um, and something I felt like God was reminding me as we were writing this sermon was that he also relates to us as a friend. Uh, in John 15, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. And I could go into exactly what this text means, but what I want you guys to hear from this scripture is that God does not only relate to us as a creator or a parent, but also as a friend. Jesus calls us his friends. He called his disciples his friends. And we can view God as our friend. It is okay to view God as a friend. I, I did not know that was okay. I, I, like, I never thought of God in that way. But now having a relationship with God, I, I do view him as my friend. I view him other ways as well, but it is one of the ways that I interact with him and have a relationship with him. And I just feel like he wanted me to say, like, he gives you permission to, to be his friend because he calls, he already calls you friend. So it is okay to view him in that way. I don't know if that's helpful for anyone, but I know that for me personally, it was much easier for me to relate and connect with God in this way. God being our friend does not mean that we do not still have a deep reverence and awe for him as God because we do. And God being our friend does not mean that he is not also our father. But when we look at our scripture in John, Jesus tells us he also calls us friends. Jesus gives us another way to be in relationship with him, not only as children, but also as friends. No longer servants only have skipping that part. We can talk to Jesus like we do. <laughs> I wrote something and it didn't make a lot of sense. So we're going to continue. Um, we could talk to Jesus like we do our friends and include him in the conversation about what's going on in our lives like we do a friend. My point is, if it's hard for you to relate to God as a parent, there are other ways for you to relate for him to, to him when you're in conversation with him. Speaking of conversation, that is what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is a way that we communicate with him. And I know from many conversations that I, I've had with you guys and convert, like my view of prayer growing up, um, I thought that it was some ritualistic, formal, eloquent thing. Um, we think that we need to like get on our knees, fold our hands, close our eyes and say exactly the right words in hopes that he answers us. Um, false. That is not what prayer is. Prayer is about relationship. Can everyone say relationship? Relationship. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Personal relationship with you. What does a personal relationship involve? What does it take to become friends with someone? You have to talk to them. 
You have to get to know them. You have to sit down with them. You ask them questions. You spend time with them. That is how we build relationship. That is how we have friendships. A friendship takes time, effort, and intentionality. Our relationship with God takes time, effort, and intentionality. We see in this verse that God is inviting us into a relationship with him. He desires to be our friend and for us to get to know him in a deeply personal and intimate way. But Paul tells the Philippians to come to him in prayer and petition. So prayer and petition are similar, but they're distinct. Prayer is how we communicate with God. Petition is directly asking God to do something. So we can come to God and talk to him about the things we are going through, talk to him about the hard things in life, but we can also petition, we can ask him to work in those parts of our lives. We can invite him into that. The verse also says, with thanksgiving. When we talk to God, we cannot forget to come in thankfulness. This goes back to rejoicing. When we look at the goodness of God, we cannot help but rejoice. Just like that, when we look at the goodness of God, we cannot help but to come to him with gratitude when we communicate with him. Let me give you guys an example of what coming to God with prayer and petition and thanksgiving could look like. Um, Jesus. Thank you for being present with me as I talk to you. Thank you for caring about what I'm going through. I am grateful that you are good and that you value me. Lord, I've been struggling lately. Home has been a lot. School's not going great, and I've been feeling very anxious. I ask that you bring healing in my relationship with my family. Please help me with homework and help me to not be anxious, but rather to trust you. And that's just a little... Example of what communicating all three of those things could look like in a prayer. Um, but make that, you make that your own and you can add further detail. I was just giving something broad. Um, God wants to be part of what you are walking through. He wants you to talk to him. He desires that you ask him for what you need. We get so focused on life around us, sometimes we forget God let alone that he is our ever-present help in need. Through this verse, we know that God is inviting us to come to him. God is inviting us to ask him. God is inviting us to make him a part of what we are going through. Let's finish with talking about verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we come to God in prayer, we give him our anxiety and our fears, and he replaces it with his peace. The peace that God gives us is not like the peace of this world. It is a peace that transcends all understanding. And I talked to you guys earlier about how, like, today I was super anxious, and I was. I was super anxious all day. You can ask my best friend, Faith. She was with me through it. It was rough. And, um, yeah, I just felt really overwhelmed with anxiety. Um, and I was trying, like, I'm prepping this, ser like, I'm finishing this sermon, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, Lord, I need to listen to what, what you have me preach, and um, I just want to share that I went from a place of anxiety to a place of really deep peace. I'm in a place of really deep peace right now. I don't feel anxious, and it's because 
I was in constant communication with God all throughout today. I was, Lord, help me. Lord, I am anxious. Lord, I want to trust in you, but I'm having a hard time doing that right now. God, I, I need you. And God, I know that you are good. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are present. Even though I feel anxious, I trust that you have me. Even though I felt anxious and felt like, like he didn't have me, I'm still thanking him because the truth is, is that he does have me. The truth is, is that he does have you. Thank you that you have me. Thank you that you are with me. Thank you that you've prepared me for this, that you've called me to this, that you've equipped me with this. I don't feel it. I don't feel that way. But I'm praying, Dana, I'm thanking him for that. And I'm asking him, Lord, give me peace. Give me your peace that transcends all understanding. And he did. And he did. And I just, thank you, Jesus. God is good. God is real. This is true. What he's saying is true. I've just experienced it. Um, And God just wants you to come to him. That's what he's saying. Come to me because I love you. It's okay if you have a hard time relating to me as a parent. I'm also your friend. I just want you to talk to me. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how much I see you. I want you to know how much I value you because I do. That's what he's saying to you tonight. It's a peace that does not make complete sense to us in our current situation, our lives, relationships, because it's unlike anything we've ever felt. It's a peace that transcends our understanding, and it's a peace that only comes from God. It's a big difference. There's temporary things. There's things that temporarily give us peace. This peace is different. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians from prison. He was facing the possibility of death. He'd been beaten, starved, stoned, stoned, but he still had peace and joy in the midst of that. That's the perspective. So we can go through anything and have peace and joy in the Lord, in Christ. It's abiding in him because he is our source. He's our source of peace. He's our source of joy. He's our source of goodness. We can find that in him. And when we come to God in prayer and petition, it is not that God always removes the hard thing. It's not that he always removes the struggle or he removes the situation, but that we will have peace and joy in the midst of it because we're doing it with God and he has us. Paul still went through the beating. He was still in prison. He did die for Christ. God didn't remove that from him. He is still going through the hardship, still going through the situation. And God doesn't promise us that he's, he, he actually promises us that we're going to have trials and tribulations. He does. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but he says, I'm with you. He says, I'm for you. He says, I've got you. And that's how we get through this life. With the supernatural peace and joy in Jesus. Through our relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship Anytime you give me a microphone, that's what I'm going to say to you. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you, every single one of you. I'm going to end with this big idea. Joy and peace is readily available in any circumstance through our relationship with God. All right, guys. So we're going to do something slightly different tonight. Um, What we're going to do is I'm going to have everybody... I'm going to explain it and then release you guys. But I'm going to have everybody come up here and grab a paper and a pen. We're going to spread out throughout the room. Take about five minutes to write out a prayer to God. Write out a prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
So what's that look like? It's talking to God, asking him for what you need, and thanking him for who he is and that he's working in your life. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do that. And then after five minutes, um, I'll let you guys know, and we'll go into our small groups um, and process through a few things. So if everybody could come up and grab a paper and pen. <laughs>